0: This is chapter 18. Now I'm feeling a little punky this morning. I don't know if I'm sworn down or getting something or, or what, but I'm going to keep my stool nearby just because I don't want to. Don't want to hit the floor on you here. Exodus chapter 18. Beginning at verse 13. Exodus 18, 13. Anyone else need a Bible? Hands up, we'll get them to you. Exodus 18, verse 13. It came about the next day that Moses sat down to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from the morning until the evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God, And when they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his laws. Now, Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. You will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me, I will give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk, and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people, able men who fear God men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they'll bring to you, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to his father-in-law. And did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people. Leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens. They judged the people at all times. And the difficult dispute they would bring to Moses, but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell. And he went his way into his own land. Father, would you give us this morning insight into these things. And into this story. Help us to see, Father, the arrangement of these things and the the, the way that that Moses governed the people and may we see application and understanding. But not only, Father, may we see this type of application for a human government, but for, for this very church, for this fellowship, may we understand these things in terms of how you would have this church be led. But Father, also I pray in the hearts and lives of each of us, in our families, may we see how leadership should happen there. May we in our own personal lives learn, Father, from the actions of Jethro and Moses how it is we can lead out in this world. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. We invite you to to guide us into these words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm now the proud father of a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old, and an 8-year-old as of Friday. Andy's birthday was Friday. We had nine eight-year-old boys in this little house over here on Friday night. Count them, nine. Anything over two 8-year-old boys is more like 15 or 20, and it just compiles from there. It was absolutely insane, and Cheryl had the brilliant idea, and it was brilliant. It was a great idea. The, the boys loved it. We were going like this, but to have a pirate party. And so we had a pirate party, complete with plastic pirate swords. Now think about this. Put plastic swords in the hands of nine 8-year-old boys and give them free time constant noise. The first hour of the party, we just sat there going, what have we done? Lord, protect us. Jesus, comes soon. And we were ready to go. We had a full house and we had full hands. It was was outrageous, unbelievable. Cheryl's mom was there. Cheryl's dad walked in about two hours into the party after a long day at work and did one of these. Okay. He was there at some total, but I think it was two minutes, and I was begging him, please take me with you. Take me with you. It was a full night, and we had full hands. And Moses' hands in this picture are full. Not nine eight-year-old boys, but 600,000 whiny babies. We've already seen so far how Israel has taken to this whole sojourning thing, and it's not real good. They're whiners, they're complainers, they're grumblers, and now Moses from morning till night is sitting down as they bring their whining and complaints to him, and he's got a deal. And they didn't even have pirate swords. (laughs) But they were out of control, and Moses had to deal with all of this, so along comes Jethro with some really good advice. Advice that has been the basis of of sermons and teachings on leadership and organization for 2,000 years. For longer than that, I imagine, but churches I've heard many sermons where a pastor will draw from this passage and say, See, this is how you do it. You can't do it alone. This is how you develop leadership. Leadership. Well, I'd like us to enter for a few moments this morning, Jethro's School of Leadership. And see what it is that we can learn from Jethro and from Moses and from how this situation is handled. And I want to caution you as we go forward to take heed. Because things may not really be as they seem. Beginning back in verse 17, it tells us Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing you're doing is not good. You'll surely wear out, both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Let me give you quickly four principles of leadership that we see from Jethro here. Four principles that we can actually apply to our families, to our personal life, to the church, to business. And they're good principles. Number one, effective leadership is not solitary. It's a plurality. Effective leadership is not solitary. It said that the loneliest place in the world to be is at the top. And folks, I don't believe that's the loneliest place because there are so few people there as much as the fact that no one person belongs up there alone. No one person has what it takes to by themselves lead anybody. A family, a church, a business, an organization, no one person has that capability. And when you see effective organizations wrong, what you typically see is a leader who is surrounded by good people. Surrounded not alone in what he's attempting to do. Churches in America, the average size of the church in America is less than a hundred. Why is that? Because there are so many pastors who get out there and, and decide that they're going to do it. And they attempt to do it alone. And they teach their people that if you you need spiritual advice, counsel, wisdom, whatever, you come to the pastor. You've heard me say it before and I will say it again. You're welcome to ask for my opinion, but don't think of me more highly than you ought. Because one person does not have all the answers. It's why in this church we have elders. It's why when the bridge began, we started with two elders, went very quickly after that to five, and this morning we're going to add a couple more. Because no one person can do it alone. Good, effective leadership is not solitary. It's a plurality. Israel found that out. It took a while. But they cried out for a king. You may recall the story of Saul, the first king of Israel. Oh, Israel wanted a king. They looked out at all the other cultures and countries and nations and they said, they all have kings. Why can't we have a king too? And the Lord's, you know, looking down and I imagine thinking, What am I, (laughs) if not your king? But they wanted a king, and so they got Saul. And Saul was a solitary man. Get it? Solitary He did it himself. He was alone, and he fell apart. He did not function well. No man can be by themselves that kind of leader. You know what the most ideal type of government there truly is in the world? The most ideal government is a dictatorship. Wait a minute. Don't you mean a democracy or a republic or a theocracy at least? No, no. I mean a dictatorship. Think about it. Ideally, if you had the perfect man, then everything could flow up to him and all the decisions would be made quickly. They wouldn't bog down in bureaucracy. A dictatorship. The problem is there is no man among us who can handle that. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, leaders in the past who all fell apart because leadership is not... Is not a singular event, a singular thing, a singular task. It's a plurality if it's effective, at least where human beings are concerned. We will have a dictatorship, by the way, again, with the perfect, perfect man when Jesus returns. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says, it's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Paul is saying, Paul, Paul is saying the apostle you remember Paul the the one who planted all the churches probably the greatest leader outside of Christ that the church saw or has seen and he said I'm the chiefest of sinners I'm the worst I I can't even handle my own life let's let's do what I'm doing it is not by my power that these things get done Jesus came to save sinners among whom whom I am foremost of all and this world This world elevates men to positions they can't possibly maintain and so the Bible indicates throughout wisdom in the plurality of leaders. Proverbs 11.14 says, where there is no guidance the people fall, but in abundance of counselors there is victory in abundance of counselors there is victory. So Jethro advises Moses, he says, hey, surround yourself with a good team of guys and Moses does this and what a team. Skip down to verse 24 and look at this. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said and Moses chose able men out of all Israel and he made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of tens, or of fifties and of tens and they judged the people at all times and the difficult disputes they brought to Moses but every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Now, do you realize how many leaders, jumping to the other side of the coin, do you realize how many leaders we're talking about here? There's a description of leaders over thousands and then over hundreds and then over fifties and over tens. Now I did the math. I got out a calculator. I needed the help. And I figured out that this would require 78,600 leaders just to cover the 600 whining men in this great bureaucracy. So there is another side to it. That leadership is not solitary, but at some point the plurality just becomes absolutely ridiculous. 78,600 men. These are the number, This is the number of men Moses had to call to lead and to take care of the needs of Israel. And that's not a plurality. It's a bureaucracy, which we all know does not work. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to verse 19. So leadership is not solitary, it's a plurality. Verse 19 says, Now listen to me, Jethro speaking, I'll give you counsel, and God be with you. You be the people's representative before God, and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws, and make known to them the way in which they are to walk, and the work which they are to do. Second way, second point of effective leadership, it begins with prayer and teaching effective leadership begins with prayer and teaching and this is a solid principle we see repeated throughout the Bible and I want you to understand something that I have a role as a pastor that supersedes all other roles I might take on and that is prayer and the ministry of the word that's it that is my primary reason for being here as your pastor Prayer and the Ministry of the Word. Acts 6.4. Peter says exactly that. And it was Paul's counsel to a couple of young pastors that they be teachers listen to this Uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 1 but as for you speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine and 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 he very seriously puts it this way he says I solemnly charge you Timothy in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and by his kingdom preach the word be ready in season and out of season Repute, reprove, rebuke, exhort With great patience and instruction For the time will come When they will not endure sound doctrine But wanting to have their ears tickled They will accumulate for themselves Teachers in accordance with their own desires And will turn away their ears from the truth And will turn aside to myths And by the way, that's the impetus for the email That I sent out this last week where I talked about this whole concept of are we in the Word, are we a people of the Word. I know some of you may not be on the email list, and you're always welcome to jot down your name and your email address, and you'll be on there. For those of you who missed this, let me give you a quote directly out of the email. I think it's important. I wrote that I'm concerned for those who think that Sunday morning Phillips are enough for the week who believe that a quick scan of the Word for 45 minutes or so can sustain and grow a faith in the world in which we live. Or worse, who think that loose affiliation or association with a church is all that's necessary for life in Christ. If you're limiting your time with Jesus to, quote, Sunday morning drive-by teaching, I plead you to take real steps toward receiving the word as truly and deeply implanted in your heart. That's what James said. James chapter 1 verse 21. In humility receive the word implanted. But we have this this attitude, this American attitude about church that says I show up, I get my grace points and I'm off for the week. And then we wonder why we're stressed out. And we wonder why we get angry. And we wonder why we get overwhelmed in the world. And all the while God is saying, if you will be in the Word, if you will listen to sound doctrine, it will impact and change your life. If you're stressed out about things, if life is difficult, the first place you need to be is not taking time off from the Lord and His Word, but going to the Lord and His Word. And I'm just telling you the way it is. I grew up going to church, folks. I know all the rhetoric. I listen to pastor after pastor after pastor make people feel guilty for not being there and not being in attendance. And I am not a talking... Not a talking. I'm not talking about attendance here. I'm not talking about attendance. Man, if you're in the Word every day and you can't make it Wednesday night, praise God you're in the Word every day. But the reality is, and I know this because of my own life and my own history, most of us are not in the Word every day. Most of us rarely crack the Bible except when we're in church, in services, in worship. Oh, that we would all wake up every morning and open up God's Word and study it and pray it and be with the Lord in fellowship. That would be wonderful. That would be the ideal. And certainly that's what I believe He calls us to. But at least, at minimum... Would you be in an effective Bible study? I'm encouraging you all to do this so that we can get really big as a church. No. Honestly, whether there's 12 people on a Wednesday night or 1200, it really doesn't make any difference to me. I'm going to study it and teach it either way. But who it makes a difference for is you. It's you. And as a pastor, that's the charge. And I hope nobody feels guilty about where you're at in attendance and Bible study and all that. That's not the point either. Oh man, I'm I'm terrible I say I just can't be in the Word enough. And three days from now, back to life and just feeling guilty. God doesn't want you to feel guilty. He wants you to feel strong. He wants you to feel led, powerfully, effectively. And that's how we do it. Effective leadership begins with prayer and teaching. And last week we spent the whole message on prayer. And the importance of us being before the Lord and talking to the Lord. Again, the Lord invites us to much more than a cursory glance the scriptures once a week. And again, understand it's your choice. Nobody from the bridge, not myself, not any of our elders are going to track you down and bang a Bible on your head and say, What's the matter with you? Why aren't you there? But if you want the strength to endure, if you want the power to move from one day to the next to deal with all that you have on your hands, whether it's nine, eight-year-olds, or an entire company, then I encourage you, I implore you, I plead with you, be in the Word. Be in the Word. I speak as one whose experience is when I'm in the Word, I'm strong, and when I'm out of it, I am weak. And that's me. Well, effective leadership is something else as well. Effective leadership is not elected, it's selected. Effective leadership is not elected, it's selected. Now, many different churches do it many different ways when it comes to leadership. But look at verse 21. Jephthah says to Moses, Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over as leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Effective leadership is elected. No, it's selected. It's selected. How are these leaders chosen? Moses selected them. He chose them. Moses didn't go to the people and say, Cast your ballots. Form a search committee. It's campaign season. The problem with election in the church is it becomes so popularity based. And people look for those guys who happen to be the top of their field in business. You know what? Business leaders are not always the best elders. I'm not saying that an effective business leader can't be a good elder. But give me a man whose heart is with the Lord. Give me a man who may not know a whole lot about how to run things or organize things or administrate, but a man of prayer, and I'll take him a hundred thousand times over someone who's affected in their business. In the church today, too much of the time leadership is based on just that. It's based on electoral popularity rather than spiritual appointment rather than selection. Titus chapter 1 verse 5. Paul says to Titus, again a young pastor, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Whose role, whose responsibility was it in the early church to appoint elders? It was the pastors. Timothy did. Titus did. And any time a pastor was set up or one of the apostles would come, they would select elders. And you're saying, okay, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this because Rick, you're saying you are the selector of the elders. Kind of. Kind of. Not completely. I asked, I selected, I prayed over the first two elders that we added. From that point, the three of us then prayed over, asked the Lord to lead us and selected the next couple of three elders. And this process that we've gone through just recently to select two more, you may be wondering, wait a minute, we didn't have a vote. No, we didn't. But your elders, for the last three months, have been in prayer about this. Asking the Lord to show us. And we've talked to some people about this. And so it's a selection process, not an election process. That's how we do it. That's how we do it. Verse 22. Let them judge the people at all times And let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you But every minor dispute they themselves will judge So it will be easier for you That they will bear the burden with you If you do this thing and God so commands Then you will be able to endure And all these people also will go to their place in peace Number four Effective leadership increases longevity Effective leadership increases longevity And that sounds just like out of a business seminar And that's good Effective leadership increases longevity. Jethro says, listen, Mo, you'll have greater endurance if you don't do this by yourself. The people will be more peaceful. And if God so commands, we're talking about smooth sailing, you'll have a longer term of leadership because you won't be handling it all yourself. You won't be burning out. And the people themselves will find more peace because they won't be frustrated trying to get to you. They'll be able to get to someone else who can help with the problems. Effective leadership increases longevity. Now, I told you all that to tell you this. What's ironic to me is that Moses takes Jethro's advice but does not have smooth sailing. He ends up with an ineffective leadership. He does all these things a plurality of leaders. Yes, that's effective. And and prayer and teaching the people. Yes, that's effective. And he selects as opposed to electing the the elders or the leaders. And then, you know, he's got these men around him that it's supposed to help him endure. It's supposed to give the people more peace. But it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's ironic because, again, this passage is so often touted as the biblical model for leadership. And it's not. It's not. So understand the last 15, 20 minutes is a big waste of our time. Not completely. There's good stuff in there. But this is not the standard of leadership according to the Lord and according to his word. It lacks the most important ingredient of all. You see, there's a 180 degree difference between Jethro's wisdom and Jehovah's will. Jethro's wisdom is the wisdom of the world. Now, folks, his wisdom is loving. If you read this passage again, you'll see he really does care for Moses. And his wisdom is level-headed. Man, share the load. His wisdom is even logical. It makes sense for such a large company of people. But for all its good, Jethro's leadership is lacking. It's lacking one primary ingredient. Without even leaving this passage, some huge problems arise. They're very clear. First of all, Jethro presupposes that Moses is alone. You can't do this on your own, Moses, he says. Jethro thinks Moses is by himself. He's not. Moses is not alone in this leading of Israel, is he? Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, Certainly I will be with you. Moses wasn't alone. He had the creator of the universe as his authority, as his leader. God said, I'll be with you, and this will be the sign to you. Then it is I who have sent you, Exodus 3.12. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Interesting. God said, you're going to worship at this mountain. What mountain? Mount Sinai. Where's Moses right now when Jethro comes with his wisdom? Mount Sinai. Moses has now come full circle, returned to the place where God says, here's the proof that I'm with you. You're going to get this people back here. There is a time yet to come, a time in the future, when you will find yourself with all the people of Israel gathered around Mount Sinai. Oh, Moses is here. He's here. Proof of the pudding. God says, I'm with you. Moses can honestly say, wow, he has been. Can we say that? As we look through Exodus and our study so far, has God been with Moses? Is not it obvious and absolutely clear that the Lord, his power, his majesty, his might, his care, he has been with Moses the whole way? No doubt. Jethro is wrong. Moses is not alone. Jethro also says that God so commands you, do this. Well, God didn't so command him. I scan this passage over and over. Where does it say that the Lord said, yes, Moses, good idea, Jethro, go for it. He doesn't. He doesn't. There is no command from God for Moses to set up this leadership. Apparently, up to this point, as far as God's concerned, Moses is doing fine and doesn't need the extra help, at least not yet. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 33, one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture, gives us insight into God's way of doing things. They who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And Moses, if you need to renew your strength, there is a way, but Jethro's school of leadership is not it. It's not it. It's the wisdom of the world. Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. While you're flipping there, the last thing that we know from the passage that we can understand from the Bible is that Jethro's wisdom does not help Moses endure, nor does it bring peace to the people. Well, how do we know that? Look at verse 10, Numbers 11. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families. Each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. And Moses was displeased. Do you see what's happening here? He's got the leadership. He's got the plurality. He's got the 78,600 men in all areas to take care of the needs of the people. But they're in in the doorways of their tents weeping. They're so upset. They're so confused. They're so lost. They're so frustrated. This whole passage talks about them complaining and complaining and complaining. Moses' government, Jethro's great school of leadership has failed. And so Moses said to the Lord... Why have you been so hard on your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all this people on me, Moses said. On me? What about your 78,600 men? Moses still feels the burden of all the people. Was it I who conceived all this people, Moses said? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries the nursing infant? to the land which you swore to their fathers where am I to get meat to give all this people now they've had quail they've already had the meat taken care of that, that miracle has been seen and known for they weep before me saying give us meat that we may eat I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me so if you're going to deal thus with me please kill me at once if I have found favor in your sight do not let me see my wretchedness Moses is at the bottom of the barrel gang he is one set from suicide in fact I don't know if there's a word for it God aside deicide he's saying God kill me I'm not going to do it myself I know that would probably upset you so just kill me take me out Lord you do it I'm done I can't handle my life anymore anyone been there I can't handle it anymore I'm through. I'm fed up. It's too hard, Lord. And that's where Moses is. Hey, Moses, how's Jethro's bureaucracy working out for you? Not so good. His wisdom is not bad. The problem is Jethro's wisdom is human. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.19, the wisdom of this world is foolishness. It's foolishness before God. By the way, Jethro's council ultimately created an organization out of which would later grow another Jewish organization known as the Sanhedrin that would gather together 1,500 years later and call for the crucifixion of God's answer to the world's problems. Man's organization versus God's. And all of this, gang, all of this because Jethro's wisdom lacked one key ingredient of Jehovah's will. One thing is completely missing. One thing that Moses and the leaders needed that they did not at that time have, but they're about to receive. Look at verse 16 of Numbers 11. The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men. Just 70. Not 78,000. 70 from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people, and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Then, watch this, then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the spirit. Spirit who is upon you and I will put him upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you will not bear it alone skipping down to verse 25 then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and he took of the Spirit we're talking the Holy Spirit here gang he took of the Spirit who was upon Moses and placed him upon the 70 elders and when the Spirit rested upon them they prophesied but they did not do it again the Holy Spirit is the key the missing element the one thing that was lacking in Jethro's wisdom yes those are effective leadership principles and you can take all four of those principles we talked about before Jethro's wisdom and apply them in in worldly business and they would be sound advice but they lack the one thing that is most needed when you're talking about the organization of God's people and that's God's Holy Spirit without whom no church has a right to rule or lead or go forward whose church is this anyway the British Christian Fellowship it's not mine it's not Rod's it's not Mike's it's the Lord's church and that being the case who is the leader of this church Pastor Rick please no the Lord is God by his Holy Spirit will lead us has led us he's brought us to our own spiritual mountain has he not and he will lead us on his Holy Spirit not my spirit, or anyone else's here. In 1 Corinthians chapter two, verse four. Paul says, "My message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God." Isn't that what we're looking for? Is that not what we want, Jayburn and McGee? J. Bernard McGee, who I just absolutely love. I used to hate listening to him on the radio because his accent just drove me nuts, but I'm to the point now where I just love it. He's on the radio, I can't, yeah, I can't turn it off. Because he, you know, he's all fat southern drawl and he just he just draws you in because he teaches the word. Listen to what he said about this. He says God does not need a method, an organization, numbers, a system, a ritual, or even good works. God sweeps aside all the wisdom of the world so that there is nothing between your soul and Him. That's what I want. The wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God are contradictory, so much so that one is wisdom and the other one is absolute foolishness. So how are you doing? Are your hands full? Are you overwhelmed or feeling a bit stressed or or overcome in life? Are you feeling beat up maybe or ill-used at work or in the home? You can go to all the self-help seminars you want to go to. You can go to leadership conferences in the world and you will not get this simple truth. It is not the foolish wisdom of man that we need. It's the infallible wisdom of the spirit of the living God. You want to hear what that spirit does? What he's like? Some characteristics? Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 tells us the spirit of the Lord will rest on him referring to Jesus the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and strength the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord these characteristics I want in my life but these characteristics I cannot generate but the Holy Spirit of God can and does in each of us Again, the Spirit of God was poured out on these chosen leaders of Israel. Now, you prophecy students may wonder something here. You Bible students may look at this and go, Hey, but I noticed something that's a little confusing, a little bothersome. It says when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. Why? What's the deal with that? I'll tell you when we get to the book of Numbers in our study. (laughs) Okay, I'll tell you this morning. (laughs) I just wanted to see how you'd react. (laughs) They prophesied, but they did not do it again. Literally, the Bible says they did not add to it. In that moment, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, was poured out on these 70 elders, and they began to prophesy. And the prophecy here, listen, was similar to the speaking in tongues that happened twice in the book of Acts. I'm not talking about speaking in tongues in general. That's another topic for another time. But two times in the book of Acts, God poured out his spirit on someone and they began to immediately speak in tongues before they were saved. At least seemingly so. Proving to the people standing there Who were saved people That God had accepted them It happened to Cornelius and his family in Acts chapter 10 In Acts chapter 19 There's another group of guys About 12 guys who were baptized in the baptism of John And when they met up with the apostles They said we've never heard of any other baptism And boom They began speaking in tongues It's the same reason I believe That that happened That the 70 elders of Israel who Moses chose began to prophesy. What is that reason? That God wanted to make sure it was absolutely clear that his stamp of approval was on these men. The point wasn't the giving of some miraculous gift That that anyone could walk around now Seventy different men just prophesying right and left All through the camp of Israel The point was to say to Israel I have chosen these men Moses selected them out But guess what, my stamp is on them And to make matters even more clear You know what God did? This is so cool He chose two other guys Who were sitting back at the camp Eldad and Medad Eldad and Medad Were sitting back at the camp and they were just minding their own business bearing their tent and all of a sudden bing they began prophesying in the camp and people are going what's going on here well apparently God wants 72 because these guys are prophesying as well it was a very clear statement to the people of Israel who the leadership was by not these 70 men but by the Holy Spirit of God poured out on these 70 men Important to understand that and gain one final thing before we finish this morning. This Holy Spirit that God desires to pour on His leaders, this same Holy Spirit God wants to pour out on everyone who believes in Him. And there is wondrous power in that, there is a great blessing in that. You want to be able to lead in some form or fashion in your life. And we all do. We all have to lead some way. Whether it's just with friends, in marriages, we all are required at some point to be leaders. And if you want to effectively lead with the Spirit of God, you can do so as He desires to pour His Holy Spirit out on you. Acts chapter 2 verse 17. Peter is preaching and he's quoting Joel chapter 2 and he says, It shall be in the last days. I will pour forth of my Spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And Peter later down in verse 38 said to them, Repent, each one of you. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Moses' day, in Old Testament times, God would put his spirit on people, but he could just as easily remove it. That was the problem with Saul as king. Saul for a while had the spirit of God, but God removed his spirit from him. But guess what? In the last days, different than in old times, if you come to the Lord, give your life to the Lord, and he pours his spirit out on you, he does not withdraw it. You have him with you teaching you leading you moving in your life and so the best counsel I can give you all this morning for taking the lead in any aspect of your life it's the counsel we attempt to use for this church and that's wait on the lead of the Lord wait on the Lord wait on the Lord the reason we're still in this barn right now which we all actually love so much is we're waiting on the Lord when He says go we'll go but he is waiting. And teaching us, I believe, to wait on him. Ceaseless in prayer. Constant in the Word of God. Through study, meditation, and cool in action, waiting on the Lord. Father, we learn a lesson here from Moses and the teaching or the leading of Israel. God, we see how Moses took Jethro's advice and did not wait for your leadership at that point and Lord what a wonderful picture to see Moses come all the way around with all the human support and structure and strength that you would think he'd need and it didn't work and we are reminded this morning Father that human leadership does not work and so we seek and pray for the Bridge Christian Fellowship godly leadership spirit driven spirit led spirit filled leadership Men to stand up and be counted as elders, not chosen, Lord, by popularity, but by prayer. Not called out, Lord, by men, but by your Spirit. And as our current elders and I have been praying, Lord, for the last three months, we pray that your approval will be on all the men who you call to step up and lead, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would be on all of those men and women in this fellowship who step up to any kind of ministry. And Lord, I I pray and I say clearly now, Father, that if we ever begin to lead out in a direction that is not of you, I pray that you will so effectively and clearly stop that leadership that we might know that we're getting out of line with your Spirit. Because, Father, we don't really want to be led by anybody other than your Spirit. So lead on, Father. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.